John chapter 19, it says, When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and they divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. And so they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them. And my, for my clothing they cast lots. And so the, the soldier did these things by standing, but, by, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. Now, what's happening here on the cross? Well, lots of things going on. One of the things that, were, that was going on, and we just read it, was that prophecies were being fulfilled. As Jesus is hanging on the cross, Roman soldiers begin to cast lots for a piece of his clothing. During this time, Jewish men typically wore five pieces of clothing. Um, these soldiers didn't, didn't tear Jesus' clothing into four pieces. They basically divided four pieces of clothing up amongst themselves, like almost like souvenirs. However, they decided to cast lots to see who would get this fifth piece of garment. It's called the tunic. John describes it as a, as a seamless undergarment. And a thousand years before this event actually took place, King David describes a moment in Psalm chapter 22 where, where, where he is being accused and he's being mocked by, by his enemies. And he says, I count all of my bones and they stare and they gloat over me. And they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And so as the, as the, as the soldiers are casting lots for this tunic, we read in, in John chapter 19, verse 25, it says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother. Now over this past week, I have tried in my mind to put myself in the place of Mary, just simply as a parent. I mean, here she is, she's standing by the cross, she's watching her her firstborn son die. His, his, his badly beaten, bloodied, deformed body was nailed on a cross. Jesus was, was about two feet off the ground. Mary could have, could have reached out and she could have touched him on the chest if she wanted to, although the Roman guards, I mean, they would have never allowed something like that to happen. But she was determined that she was going to stand near Jesus as he suffered and died. And I wonder, as she stood there, if her mind went back to the moment when an angel came to her and told her that she was going to be pregnant with God's son. And I wonder maybe if her mind went back to the moment that when Jesus was born and, 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 and wise men came from different parts of the world and, and knelt down and offered gifts and shepherds came and Mary says she pondered all of these things in her heart. In her heart. And I've wondered this past week if, if her, her, her mind went back to the moment when Jesus was eight years old, or eight days old. And she and Joseph, her husband, took Jesus to the temple to be presented and to be circumcised. Back then, Jewish custom was it when a baby was eight days old, they would take the baby into the temple and they would announce to the temple the baby's name. And um, they, people thought that she was going to name the baby Zacharias, and instead she, she announced, no, the baby's name will be Jesus. And they, and they circumcised him. And, and at that time, there was a man by the name of Simeon who was in the temple. And he came over and he spoke, he spoke words over Jesus on that day. And here's what, here's what Simeon said. 
Bible says in Luke 2 that Simeon blessed them. And then he looked at Mary and he said, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon prophesied that Jesus was going to face, one day face such extreme opposition that he would cause Mary to experience sorrow like a knife piercing through her soul. I mean, just think about this from, from a parent standpoint. Those of you who are mothers, fathers, just, I mean, standing at the foot of the cross, watching your very own flesh and blood just die in front of you as the crowds around are hurling insults at him. I mean, and she's watching him just, you know, struggle to just lift himself up so he could breathe. And I mean, I mean uh, this would have been way too much for me. It would have been way too much for any parent. And now, I mean, Mary's standing there. She had to have caught a glimpse of what was going on between these soldiers. Here they are. These guys are the ones who have beat her son. They have crucified him. And now they're casting lots over his tunic. Usually a tunic would have been given to a son by a mother. Legend says that Mary gave Jesus a tunic before he left home. And this, this is happening Jesus begins to speak. He finally looks down at Mary, and then he looks down at John, and he begins to speak. One of my favorite authors, Chuck Swindoll, talks about this moment. And he asks this question, why now? Why now? I mean, she's been standing there the whole time. She's been watching. She's been weeping. Why hasn't Jesus acknowledged her or spoken to her up to this point? Could it be because of this seamless tunic? Swindoll says when they touched the tunic, they touched something very near to his heart, the garment made for him by his mother. As Jesus is looking down from the cross and he sees the soldiers casting lots over this, over this tunic, he glances down at his mother and he says these amazing words to her. He says, woman, behold your son. And then he looks at John who must have been standing right near her and he says, he says John, behold your mother. Although Jesus, I mean, he was very much Mary's son, he, he was not talking about himself at this moment. He uses the word son to refer to John, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the, the disciple who was his closest earthly friend. And Jesus was directing Mary at this very moment to adopt John as if he were her very own son. And at the same time, Jesus is directing John to fill a void, as best as he can to fill a void that Mary was about to feel as she watched her very own son die in, in front of her, of her eyes. Mary was, was losing her son, and she was losing who, this boy that she knew was not just an earthly son, but it was her, it was her Savior. And he, knew, and, she, and he knew, Jesus knew, that, that there's going to be a huge void in her life. Back in those days, it was, the, it was the job of the firstborn son to take care of a mother, especially if she was a widow. And many scholars believe, obviously, that Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, had already, had already died. And so here's Jesus looking down from the cross. And he's giving direction. And he's telling, he's telling her, Mary, lean on John as if, as, if, as if he is your very own son. And he's telling John, take care of, of my mother as if she were your own mother. William Barclay, he writes, there's something moving in the fact that Jesus, in the agony of the cross, in the moment when the salvation of the world hung in the balance, thought more of the loneliness of his mother in the days when he was taken away. 
Now, i got to tell you something. This whole scenario absolutely amazes me. As Jesus is hanging on the cross, I mean, he had every right to think about himself. I mean, the pain and suffering that he was, 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 was going through and, and what he was enduring, I mean, was overwhelming. And it had to overwhelm his thinking. But that's not what's happening here. Jesus, as we saw from last week, was thinking of these two men hanging one on one side, one on the other. And he's thinking about these soldiers that are casting lots over his clothing. And, and he's thinking about his family and his friends. Now I want to tell you something. If you've ever doubted for even a moment that God cares about people and he, doubt, and he cares, and he, that, that God cares about people or relationships that, he, that, that, that you wonder if, if, if we're even on his radar, listen, this moment should crush all of your doubts. If people's last words are truly a picture, a reflection of what is most important to them, then this moment should tell you that God places a huge amount of importance and a huge weight on how we handle the relationships that he's placed in our lives. Because from the cross, as Jesus is suffering, as he's in pain, as he is struggling to just simply breathe, Jesus is teaching us how to handle relationships. From the cross, Jesus is teaching us that we need to forgive our enemies. Think about these soldiers for a moment. They have beaten him. They have whipped him with whips that have torn chunks of flesh off of his bones. They have smashed a crown of thorns down onto his head. Blood is just, I mean, his face, I mean, it's unrecognizable. They have driven nails into his wrists and into his feet. And now, as these soldiers are casting lots over who would get the priceless tunic, listen to what Jesus says to them. Luke 23, he says, Father... Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then they cast lots to divide his garments. A few weeks ago, Mac Lake did a great job on this stage of talking about this topic of forgiveness. I mean, one of the best messages I've ever heard on this topic, but I think it's important to just bring it up again for just a moment. Because if Jesus could, could, could offer forgiveness to, to these men at this moment, to, to these men who would have been his enemies, if he could offer forgiveness to these guys from the cross, then, then we can do the same. And I know that's a tough one for a lot of you. Because you've had people who have hurt you deeply. Who look at you as an enemy. And maybe in your heart, you look at them as an enemy because of what they've done to you, what they've said about you, how they've rejected you, how they've turned away from you. And yet, Jesus is giving us direction from the cross. And yet, so many of us, we, we, we hold on to this bitterness and this, and this pain that we feel, as almost, as, and we enslave ourselves to it. But refusing to forgive someone is like drinking poison and then waiting for the other person to die. And Jesus from the cross, is, he's giving us direction to forgive our enemies. And then he's also giving us a picture that we need to honor our parents. Many scholars believe that, that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was 33 and a half years old, so his time of, of obedience at this moment to Mary, I mean, ended years ago. However, what didn't change was his willingness to honor her. Jesus knew scriptures very well. He, he was God in the flesh, but he was also the author of the book. And in Exodus chapter 20, he gives us 10 commandments. And the fifth commandment reads like this. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord is giving you. The Lord your God is giving you. Now, oftentimes, when we read this commandment, we, we think specifically about young children. And I definitely think there's a word for children in this, in this message here. That, that as children, 
especially for those of you who, may, who maybe are still in the home under, under the age of 18 or, or maybe you're 27, you're still at home. I don't know what your deal is, but <laughs> we are called to obedience, to obey our mom and our dad. And I think that's an important word, but it's not the full picture of what's happening here. In Ephesians chapter 5, the apostle Paul, he tells children, he says, obey your parents, but then he quotes the fifth commandment. And he says, honor your father and your mother, and he calls it the commandment, the first commandment with a promise. See, honor looks beyond obedience. It holds with it this idea of reverence and esteem. To honor your parents means that you hold them in reverence and respect, but it also means that you, that you take care of them, especially when they get older. Now, I was born in, in 1965. I'm the first year of what is called the Gen X generation, all right? My mom, who's sitting over here to my right, she was born in 19... And, um, she was the first year of the baby boom generation. I was reading something the other day um, from a, a Charles Schwab report from 2011 that, that says that 36% of workers 55 and older have saved less than $25,000 for retirement. We're, we're in a time when pensions are disappearing. There's talk of Social Security benefits decreasing while Medicare benefits are increasing. The cost of Medicare is increasing. So you know what that means, right? It means that we need to start finishing out our basements. We are called to honor our parents, and, 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 and that means that we need to start thinking about the idea of reclaiming the practice that in some ways has been lost, but a practice that, th that has been practiced throughout human history of caring for our parents as they get older. And from the cross, Jesus is teaching us. He's teaching us to honor our parents, to respect them, to show them reverence, and to help them during their time of need. And he's looking down at this moment at, at Mary, and he's directing John to take care of her. And then Jesus is also teaching us to extend grace to our friends. The Last Supper... In, the, in a place that we call the upper room, Jesus spoke some very difficult words to his disciples in Matthew 26, 31. He, he looks at them and he says, guys, I want to tell you something. He says, you will fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Now the word fall away in the King James is offended. The King James uses the word offended. It means scandalized. To put it plainly, the disciples were going to desert Jesus because they were ashamed of him. I want you to think about that for a moment. Think about what's happening here. Jesus is pouring his heart out to his disciples because he knows he's about to be arrested. He knows he's about to go through the worst week of his life, a week that is ultimately going to lead to the cross. Jesus and his disciples, they leave the upper room. They go down into a garden to pray, Jesus asks his disciples, he says, listen, I want to go off and I want to pray by myself. I want to talk to my father. I need you guys to, to keep watch. And I need you to pray for me. As I go through this time, the Bible says he was suffering. He was in agony. I mean, it, it's crunch time in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus needs the support of his friends. And yet when he comes back from praying, what does he find? They're sleeping. Moments later, one of Jesus' disciples, Judas, he walks into the garden, and with him he's got Jewish elders, he's got 
the, the, the guys who would have been kind of the police of the, of the, of the synagogue. He's got Roman soldiers who, the Bible says, they're, they're, carrying, they're carrying swords and clubs. And Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. He sells him out for 30 pieces of silver. And the soldiers arrest him. What do the disciples do? Matthew 26, 56 says, Then all of the disciples left him and fled. As Jesus is being led that night into a courtyard to be interrogated by the high priest, Peter is way off in the distance. And a young girl walks up to him and she says, You were with him. And he goes, "Uh Uh-uh. I wasn't. I, I was not with him. He denies it. Another girl walks up and accuses him of, of being a disciple of Jesus. And he actually denies knowing Jesus. And finally, another person accuses him. You are with him. You are part of the disciples. You are part of his followers. And Peter, he begins to cuss. He curses himself. And he says, I do not even know this man. The entire week before Jesus went to the cross, he was absolutely alone. His disciples had deserted, deserted him. One of them betrayed him. One of, denied knowing, one, one of them denied even knowing him. The others fled ashamed of him. And yet, now looking down from the cross, in his last moments on earth, Jesus looks over and he sees John. His best friend John has returned. And he's standing now at the foot of the cross. Now I want you to notice, Jesus, Jesus doesn't rebuke John. He doesn't look away from him in disgust. He doesn't condemn him. Instead, he extends grace to him. He actually honors him. He honors him by by giving him the responsibility of caring for his mother Mary. Now, I've got to tell you, there are so many amazing lessons that we can learn from this moment. But I want you for a moment to think about a person that has let you down. Think about a person that's wounded you. Think about a person that, that... that's disappointed you, someone that you counted on, someone that you, you thought you could trust in, someone that, that you just relied on, but when, they, when, when you needed them the most, when you needed them the most, they, they left you. And now think about what Jesus went through with his closest friends. Think about his best friend for a moment. From the cross, he reaches out and he extends grace. I mean, listen, John, John didn't deserve grace. I mean, and maybe the person that's hurt you, the person that's wounded you, They don't deserve grace either. And yet, from here, I think we are called to extend it anyways. I think we look at Jesus and we say, I need to extend it anyway. The other lesson that I look and I I just, this lesson screams out at me. Is this lesson that says, if you've walked away from Jesus, you can always come back and find grace and acceptance. If you've abandoned him, if you've left him, if you've, if you've walked away, if you've turned your back on him. I mean, maybe in a moment where you were going through a trial, you denied him. Maybe at a moment where you faced a test, you actually failed him. Maybe you, you just turned your back on him because you were ashamed of him. A.W. Pink says, oh, may the arrow of conviction now enter your conscience. May divine grace melt your heart. May may the power of God draw you back to Christ where alone your soul can find satisfaction and peace. Here is encouragement for you. Christ did not rebuke John on returning. Instead, his wondrous grace bestowed on him an unspeakable privilege. Cease then your wanderings and return once to Christ and he will greet you with a word of welcome and cheer and who knows but what he has. Some onerous commission awaiting for you. 
We're called to extend grace to others. And then finally, from the cross, we are, we are given this amazing example to focus our lives on others. For, for more than three years, Jesus has poured his life into 12 men. He has taught them to carry out his mission. And before he was arrested, he prays these words over him from John chapter 17. And he says to them, he says, As you sent me into the world, Father, he says, So I have sent them into the world. I've sent them into the world to do what? To do the will of his Father? To make disciples of others? To seek and to save that which was lost, to, to, to reach out to the widow, to, to, to help the orphan, to, to, to reach out to the down and outer, to, to engage the poor, the single mother, those who are ill, the needy. Jesus says in Matthew 20, he says, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, he said, when you did that, you did it, you, you did it to me. And that's why as a church, we have to continue to turn our, our hearts outward when the community needs us, we need to be already focused on others. It shouldn't be like turning the Titanic. We're already there. That's who we are because we're, just, we're, we're, we're carrying out the commands of Jesus to focus our lives on other people. At this moment where Jesus, I mean, he had every earthly right to be focused on himself he shows us from the cross not just how to die. He shows us from the cross how to live, focused on other people. He puts a huge weight on relationships. He looks down at these soldiers, and he says, forgive your enemies. He looks at Mary. He says, honor your parents. He looks over at John, who walked away from him, and he extends grace, and he pulls him back. And he blesses him. I mean, here's a guy who doesn't deserve it. He blesses him with a huge honor. From the cross, Jesus looks at all of us. He looks at all of us like he did his friend John. And he says, listen, take my place until I come. Do what I came to do until I come back. Be for others what I came to be for them. This past week, I've had this hymn going in my head all week long. I grew up in the church. I know a lot of hymns. But there's a hymn that I love. If, I had, if, if there were probably three of my favorite hymns, this is one of them. It's an old hymn written by a lady named Fanny Crosby, written back in the 1800s. And here's how it goes. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There's a precious fountain Free to all a healing stream Flows from Calvary's mountain You might know the chorus. In the cross, in the cross Be my glory ever Till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. Near the cross a trembling soul, love and mercy found me. There the bright and morning star 
sheds its beams around me. Let's stand together and sing this. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever. Till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. Near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring it seems before me. Help me walk from day to day. Watch its shadows o'er me. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever. Till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. And then she writes, Near the cross I'll watch and wait, hoping, trusting ever, till I reach the golden strand just beyond the river. Let's sing it. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the Father, as we just bow our heads for a moment, we think about the cross, we are reminded, Lord, as Jesus hung there in our place, he was teaching us. He was teaching us what was most important to him. He was speaking words that were very important that he felt that he needed to leave to us to let us know what was, what was most important for us to think about. And he put a huge weight on relationships. And he asked us, Father, to stand in his place, to do what he would do until he comes back. Father, I pray that this morning that even though we don't have the strength to do it in our own, Lord, that we will find it in your strength to forgive our enemies. We have parents, Lord, that some of them are really tough to respect and honor. But Lord, may we find it in your strength to honor them to take care of them. We have people that have hurt us, wounded us. They don't deserve grace. John didn't deserve grace, but yet you showed it to him anyways. So much so you honored him and asked him to take care of your mother.
And then, Lord, we're called to focus our lives on other people. And Jesus, at this moment of just suffering, he just gives us an amazing example that it's not about us. Thank you for that example this morning, Lord. May we find ourselves constantly near the cross, reminded that it's at the cross, Lord, not only are we learning from Jesus, but we find our forgiveness and our grace that's been extended to us. If you're here this morning, you've never received that grace and that forgiveness. Can I tell you, it's, it's extended to you this morning by simply putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone by repenting of your sin. You can know Jesus in a very personal way, have a relationship with him that you don't have right now. And if that's who you are this morning, you may just want to pray with me and say, Lord, at this very moment, I need forgiveness. I don't deserve the grace that's being extended to me. But by faith, I receive it. And I say that Jesus Christ alone is the Son of God, and he is the Savior of my life. I repent of my sin, and I ask Jesus to be my Savior. Would you help me to take a next step from here? If you just prayed that with me, I want you to take your connection card out, just fill it out, take it to the Help Center. There's a place that says, this morning I prayed to receive Jesus as my Savior. Would you let us know you did that? We want to help you to take your next step. All right. For the rest of you, listen, I want to tell you something. It's never too late to come back to the cross. Never too late. There's mercy, there's grace. You don't deserve it. But because Jesus hung there on your behalf, it's extended to you. I don't care where you've been, what you've done. Jesus is still there, arms wide open. There's forgiveness for you this morning. Amen.